I am urbanist Rachel Fisher. And I'm interior designer Abigail Hall. And this is the podcast that looks at how design impacts your everyday life. So, Abigail, what have you been up to this month? Rachel, I've been dying to tell you about some new <laughs> jewellery I want to buy. Of course you have. I do. There is an everyday design link, and that link is agate, one of my favourite materials. Also, buildings and cities are made of stone. So there we go. See, it already ties in. I feel like I can't. I, I peaked already. <laughs> <laughs> so I was reading um, Elle magazine, Indian Elle. Okay. Okay, no. I was, Is it I was, available online or were you on holiday? Yeah, no, I was totally just reading it online. Okay. Um, and I was reading about this, this guy called um, Amadeo. And I know. Okay. And he's named as the new king of Cameo. You know what? You know what? I can't believe I missed that. That was brilliant. (laughs) Sorry. You're a comedy genius. I know. So I peaked early, but you you have yet to peak. That was you're on the way up. Let's hope. Let's hope it gets better than Rocky (laughs) Amadeo. Anyway, so you're reading about this guy. And he's a contemporary cameo maker. Great. I know, because I always think of them as kind of a bit dusty, a bit fuddy. You see them in antique shops. They made some sort of weird comeback. I'm going to say like in the early 90s, I know that I bought a plastic one. Like kind of that Laura Ashley Victoriana Oh, thing. yeah, there was a Victoriana phase. Very yeah. brief. Very brief. Where people wore kind of high-necked ruffled things. Oh, yeah, the like yeah. high-necked lace collars. I With had a one cameo of those. over the top. Exactly so. Right. So this guy is making contemporary cameos. But they're fantastic. They're skulls and dragons. Oh, and nice. They're really nice. There's one with an elephant. I'll send you the photo so we can elephant. post it. it. Really, really beautiful. And it's a, it's, it's a craft of it. It actually is fantastic. And I think four pendants, four earrings. Mm. And I must admit, until I read this article, I had no idea how cameos were made. The, Do the, you just uh, the so dead silence tells me that the you definitely know? <laughs> no, I'm assuming it's that you that, that you kind of like etch away exactly, at the yeah. agate, and, and you can use shells. Mm-hmm. You can use um like uh semi precious stones. Oh, right, like so like the outside of the agate stays the same, and then the inside because agates are one of those things that have like a white outside and a coloured inside. I think they I think they polish the edge, yeah. and then the whiteness is from the working it. So mm. actually, the whiteness is raised. I don't think it's the other way around. No, that's what I mean. So if the outside of the rock is yeah. white, and then the inside of the rock is a colour, then if you had like a a, a, a flat section yes. of it, then you would basically etch away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so and amazing. I look forward to perusing Indian L and finding out more about Amadeo. Well, I'll send you photos so we can put them out there. <laughs> Not that Indian L isn't always worth perusing, obviously worth I'm, I'm sure that it is. And what about this month? What have you been doing? So this month, um, so I am part of a feminist book club. Of course you are. <laughs> We're friends for a reason. We are friends uh, for, for a reason. Um, and this month, the book of the month club, uh, amongst probably all feminist book clubs around the country... It's a book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez. She of the uh, Let's Put Jane Austen on a Fiverr mm-hmm. campaign. Um, Millicent uh, Fawcett and the, you know, in, in Parliament Square. So this is about exposing data bias in a world designed for men. And I was sort of thinking, oh, God, can I? But, but, but they sucked me in. Yes. Like she, she sucked me in kind of chapter one. And she's talking about 
transport planning. Okay. And is transport planning gendered? And I immediately like, no. Yes. So it turns out that all of our transport planning basically supports commuters, most of whom are men. Yes. It does not support people who do what's called trip chaining. So the idea that you leave the house, you take the kids to school, yep. you pop to the shops, and then you go into work. And on the way home, you kind of... Yeah, that's it. It's, it's A to B kind of, trips. It's A to B, yeah. in and out, in and out, in yes. and out, in and out. It's a very male pattern of commuting. I, I, if you imagine exactly that, yeah. And mm. whereas women tend to be more kind of like circular, yes. and they tend to... And, they, and also, so think about it this way, in the t- like in London... Um, and actually in most commuter, in most cities with like a, a really powerful central business district, you'll basically be going from the, from the, from the suburb into the center. And so all of the transport is radial. Like spokes on a wheel. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Where, so in London, you can go around the circle line yes. for possibly your entire life and yes. only go around say three miles. Um, but there's no outer orbit. Yeah, that's true. And also if you look at how we prioritize transport spending, we will spend huge amounts of money on really big kit infrastructure, much of which is absolutely necessary. You need to get large numbers of people from A to B. Yes. And public transit is really important. But women, by and large, tend to walk because they're doing more local journeys. Um, they tend to take buses more. So globally, women are the bus users. Oh, wow. It's just Fascinating. And so there are all of these policy changes that you can make which benefit women. And as somebody that, aren't, that works on transport policy, I just keep thinking, oh, gosh, I'm a card-carrying feminist, brackets, member of a feminist book club. Mm. And I hadn't even realized my own gender biases in terms of thinking about how I approach a policy problem. So this book has like I genuinely and it was funny because I had it out on my desk today like literally today I had it out on my desk about three different people not all women came up to me and were like can I borrow that when you're done I mean I have I have heard about it and and her there was her a comments great article design, in the Guardian yeah exactly yeah. so and her comments on smartphones and the size of hands and the the tech on it coming back to smartphones I'm yep. interested to know. Because the data that you would need to actually know how to create better public transport yep. routes that are more accommodating of both the direct in and out behaviour and the, and the roundy round one. Yeah. Um, surely the secret to that is the GPS tracking on our phones to find out how... So that data isn't... Ne- so yes, but the data isn't necessarily sex disaggregated. So there's a whole yes, other yeah, chapter about how data science biases men either like actively does yes. so or passively does so by not sex disaggregating so you have no it's the data just, no use so without without knowing yeah. that rachel's iphone belongs to rachel mm. because it's actually registered in patrick's name for historic and irritating reasons i have a similar thing if i ever ask siri what my name is it's well it's <gasps> oh and there's this other thing sorry no i, I want to know there's this other thing uh which basically you know how i have a uh, smart home hub thing yes Many, many versions are many available. Many versions are available. My bloody Alexa has no freaking idea how to understand me. It turns out that is a thing. What? So they are trained listening to men. Seriously? Seriously. And I it was just going like, to tell me it was your accent or something. It's, it's, it's an American it's, co- <clears throat> it's, an, it's an American company. Yes, exactly. That's why I was so shocked. Yeah, so it just completely floored me. and Because I'd been saying for ages, it likes Patrick's iPhone more than mine. It listens to... I still don't know an answer to why it likes Patrick's iPhone more than mine, but it literally, he walks into a room and it goes, boom, boom. 
And he walks out of the room and he goes, boom, boom. Oh my gosh. It's this woman, this, this creepy, creepy home hub thing woman. Anyway, so it's just all of these little things where if you're not kind of incandescent with rage by about chapter one, you're not paying attention. Yes. The thing that I would be really, really interested in reading, she does talk about, so she does talk a little bit about the trans experience, but not really, and I'm interested in that because she she does put a lot on sort of biological, different like the biological differences okay. between men and women. That's an interesting conversation to have in the context of of, of uh, trans inclusivity. But I'd also be really interested to read the same book, but about um, black and minority ethnic communities well, like- and the biases in that because this is white middle class woman reading white middle class woman. And so she's basically just pointing out the biases that impact me. And so I'm only recognizing my own experience um, in reading this. I'm recognizing, yes, no, that feels right to me. It's not challenging my experience and it's not challenging my beliefs. And I'd be really, really interested to read kind of the same book, but about not my experience. I think this has struck such a chord with so many people, though, and has been so well received that I think the demand is there. And I hope that demand is filled with people who are as intelligent and as considered as researchers her on exactly the subject matters you're talking about and others that perhaps we haven't even considered, which will open your mind even wider. And and thinking about that, the other thing to do, I think, is probably just give this book to every man I know. Just literally give this book to everyone. Just, oh no, we seem to be having this argument again. May I invite you to read this book? Yes. Because that... I had, I had a, it's backed yeah. up by data. It is. I mean, so yeah. I, had, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine, a male friend of mine. I probably didn't even need to say that. but and I, and I was telling the story of the time that I was asked to speak on a conference platform. And I was asked to speak about women in real estate. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely fine. Delighted to do so. Um, and two weeks out from the conference, without telling me, they changed the title of my conference platform to... Uh, the last taboo, brackets, no one mentioned the menopause. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> they didn't tell me. And it was literally just one of my team was, was kind of going, oh, I wonder who else is on the panel. Ooh. And I thought, I have no problem speaking about the menopause. I have no problem speaking about what it is to be physically female in a work environment. I am comfortable with that. But how? Hi, that. I'm Chief Executive of British Land, and today I'm going to be talking about what? Viagra? Yeah. <laughs> and because you're a woman, it's a facto, there you go, it's suitable for you to talk about. And I, said, and I was telling this anecdote, and my friend, my male friend, literally said, I don't think that was a gendered thing. <laughs> oh, I, that's, it's, that's naive. Mm, that's just Yeah, naive. on which note? Yeah. On which note? Um, let's talk about good design, bad let's... design, now that we've talked about good friend, bad friend. <laughs> no. Oh, I feel no, bad. he is a good friend. He's, He's a good friend. Just a little I, bit I have a book yeah. for him to read. <laughs> yeah, you do. After I have it, though, right? Mm. Yeah. Thank you. There is an orderly queue. What's your good design, bad design? Is what's been uh, uh, inspiring so, and irking you? So I've been having a couple of niggles. Um, the big niggle at the moment is that I have... Ugh, an iceberg that could sink the Titanic growing, growing in my fridge. It's over, it's like overtaking asparagus. It's like if you leave the door shut too long. So I've been. The wine's gone. The wine's gone. We've taken the wine. We sacrificed it. Never sacrificed the wine. It was too late. No wine left behind. (laughs) But basically, it's just ridiculous. And so I'm looking at this. 
temperature indicator. Yes. And I cannot for the life of me work out if zero is a temperature or that it's not on. <laughs> so I, and, and, and because of this iceberg, I can't quite sort out. So it's kind, of, it's kind of a white dial and yeah. it's got, it has got numbers on it. It zero, does have numbers one, on it. Zero, two, one, two, three, four, five. But what's Is five cold? colder? Yes. I don't, I genuinely, I have no level idea. Level five cold? Level five cold. Or level five or warm. five degrees, which seems like you might not want that. You definitely don't want no. Um, so this is where I am. Um, I'm currently eating the contents of my freezer so that I can do a, a, like a hard reset. Defrost. Defrost. That's yeah. exactly what needs to happen. And similarly, like at the other end of the spectrum, like quite literally in terms of the digestive tract, <laughs> yes. there is a fashion for the low flush loo. And I'm, I'm I a love fan saving of that. water. Yes. I'm yeah. an eco friendly person. Uh, is the little flush, readers, uh, listeners, do, do, do write in, is the little flush or is the big flush the one you should be using more frequently? Because if you're thinking about behavioral kind of psychology, you want to make the thing that is the right thing to do the big flush. Yes. But that'll be like the little flush, really. Like that'll be the less water. Or is it the little for little and the big for big? I yeah, just... so like is the big one so it gets my attention... Think about touching that one. Think about the environment. Yeah. But actually, the size of the plate, the push plate, is mm. indicating the volume of water that's going to come out. I have no idea which is the case. It feels like labelling is the answer to this, yeah. doesn't it? It feels like use your words. Yeah. <laughs> one wiggly line, small amount of water, maybe three wiggly lines for a lot of water. That, that would be helpful. You don't even need to use your words. Well, I'm always thinking internationally, Rachel. So that's my so that's my bad design. I don't have a good design. Yeah, no, I think you do. I think everything <laughs> that you use intuitively, well, you don't have to have this internal debate where you're standing in a loo, two hands out, going, which one? Which I'll just, one? I'll just flush it. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, ah! And then, of course, having absolutely no reference of how much volume water comes out anyway. So what we like, could do is right we could one? go to the loo together. And I will be in one loo and you will be in the other loo. And then we can comparatively flush. Okay, but to be clear, I have stage fright when someone's in a cubicle next to me. So we can only do it from a an experiment for the pressing of the loo. An Nothing experiment. happened before that's that. Fair. That's yes. fair. Okay. Thanks, thanks for that. So what's your good design, bad design? Well, I love that given that you're the urbanist and the interior designer, you've chosen a couple of examples very localised within your house and... Sorry, you don't have that toilet in you. No. Well, no, I do. I have a two flush. And I have no idea. Oh, well, hold on. We can do this experiment today. We can. (laughs) Later. (laughs) Um, Mine is about an entire city. I uh, went to Paris. My life is Lovely city. You know, had to go there. Yes. I adore. I adore Paris. It's everything that I want to be. It is chic. It has a lot of cheese. I don't want to be a lot of cheese. What am I saying? You want to have a lot of cheese. There we go. Thank you very much for explaining it to me. It has deco. It has nouveau. It has everything I want. Yet, it's dirty. Yeah. Talk to me about this because a couple of people I've spoken to said, I come back, I, they said, how was how Paris? And I said, I love it, but, and in both instances, I went, it's dirty though, isn't it? Mm. And what kind of people were these people? I'm going to say they were the gentle folk of London town. Um, Are they with English? Who, with whom I work. No. One, Interesting. One's Spanish. Okay. And the other one's English. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
but when it when they mentioned that to me, I started paying more attention as I've been walking around London. And I must admit, in Westminster, where I'm working at the moment, I actually think it is incredibly clean. Mm. Really incredibly clean. Yeah, in the residential area where I live and kind of, you know, between commuting routes, I've actually found it as... And I want to say so dirty. Would you say it's not that, like, just... a tourist district of London is as... So would you say, like, a tourist district of Paris is as clean as a touristy district of London? Because Westminster is the tourists. Yes. So Soho is, like... Paris. Yeah, it's a but bit Soho's mucky. There's a the, bit. Yeah, Soho's like the dirtiest bit, isn't it? It's a bit alleyways. It's a bit cardboard boxes it's in a the bit, street. It's a bit pee on the ground. Yeah, a bit of vomit. A kind of smell that is always there. Like New York. Yeah. Mm. So what air you can chew? So am I being? Am I being precious? Am I expecting the the but stunning what you, architecture? I mean, what does one expect? Does to... one expect that that Paris will just reek of Chanel Number no. Five? I mean, that would be fabulous. True. But, like, I just... No. I don't know what we expect cities to spell of. I think There's something around... We observe, do we observe them in movies? I think we do, but we... also... So there is something to do with the amount of greenery in a city. And we've talked about this before. Yes. So there's something to do with, like, tree cover and grass and, and, and that that filters the air and that purifies Which the air. Which in Paris you really do not have a lot of. You don't have, have a lot of squares but they are hard landscapes. Exactly. They're yeah. hard. Yeah. So whereas in London I mean London is an urban yeah. forest and you know all of this. So so I think I think London probably does smell better. Most of London does smell better than most of Paris because of that. Yes. And also like London so Soho actually doesn't have green space. No it doesn't. <gasps> My God. Is there anything That's trees right. can't do? No. No. And it is, as we're recording this, it's Chelsea Flower Show. And there's a huge amount, actually, this time. There always is. But about the impact of yeah. um, wildlife. Well, and, I th- and I think that's the climate change. I think that's the, the kind of Extinction Rebellion climate change thing that's good. happening. Good. Let's have a conversation about it. Absolutely. We're not disagreeing, are we? So, so good design, bad design. It's, it's kind of enc- encapsulated within that city. It, by the way, it wouldn't stop me from going back. Well, of course not. And I don't change my behaviour. Would I wear flip-flops in that no, city? No, because no one cleans up after their dogs in that city. That's, and that's, that's one of the that, very distinct oh, elements oh, of the mess that, that I'm talking about. Very true. And no one's... I think we are very lucky in the UK that there's a lot of jet-washing of pavements that happen yeah. overnight that we're probably not even aware of, which no. does, does not happen there. No, I agree. Yeah. So... This month we've done this something This month we've together. been done something together. Actually, I should mention, yeah. last month we did talk about the possibility of doing a, um, a live from Pitthanger Manor, which is Sir John Soane's um, country house in did England. We? we did talk about it, but we weren't able to achieve that. We had some um, logistical kind of issues. Um, but uh, it wasn't live. I don't think we ever would have done it live. No. We don't have the capability to stream stuff live. No. Do we? No. No, let's not go there. You want this edited. <laughs> yeah, guys, you're hearing the edited version. <laughs> um, Abby and Rachel, uncut. <laughs> anyway. 17 so we... hour special. Oh my God. Yeah, really? <laughs> Tell me, Rachel, yeah. why yeah. would we need to do a dedicated episode about Sir John Soane? Because he is my favourite architect. Yes. And... Ever? Yes. Why? I don't know. <laughs> so, 
I first discovered uh, Sir John Soane, whose dates, for those of you who are keeping score at home, he was born in 1753. He died in 1837. Lest you think that I am going to run off with Sir John. Oh, yes. Don't worry. Unlikely. Unlikely. Um, So I first encountered him in probably, I think it was the summer of 2000. I was in London doing a course on experiencing British architecture. Oh, God, I love it. And we went to all of these different places. And it was fine. Buildings. Um, and my course tutor, uh, Mosette Broderick from NYU, who's just a legend, um, she was friends with Margaret, and I cannot remember her name, who was the curator of the Sir Johnstone Museum at yes, the time. a job which I think you should do. A job which I have long lusted after, and unfortunately have not been doing anything in my career to make that happen. It was one of the provisos in his will, when he gave, well, the Act of Parliament that enabled yeah, it to yeah. become a museum. A proviso was that there was a curator and... So they get to live there. Yeah. But, a curator and a caretaker. Thank but, you, yes. no longer. Oh. Since the opening up of the Sone, uh, kind of massive redevelopment. Yes. Um, the last kind of seven yeah. years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like, that doesn't, yeah. that's not a thing anymore. Um, which is which is quite sad. Um, so anyway, Margaret took us round the zone and just, it's like this amazing puzzle box of interior yes. spaces and you can't quite get your head around it and he's playing with light and he's playing with colour and he's playing with mirrors and he's playing. And he's so architecturally kind of, curious so he's this guy he was born with no money he's the son of a bricklayer he becomes apprenticed to um george dance the younger yes um he gets an apprenticeship with an architect who then is like one of the founding members of the royal academy and then basically says go to the royal academy and and then he wins a, a competition and he goes on the grand tour and he becomes completely obsessed with classical architecture as everybody in that period did and he comes back and he's a collector. He's a drawer, he's oh, a collector, and he brings yeah. back stuff. And he starts collecting things. Um, and ultimately, he, he ends up building this house, uh, three houses in a row um, at Lincoln's Inn Fields in London, um, around his collection. And his collection is also his studio and also where he teaches um, his architectural students. And he's got this sense of humor, though, as well. So, like, he is quite omnivorous so despite being an absolute neoclassicist he starts buying um uh, uh gothic stuff he was he so just... when the houses of parliament burn down he goes and gets like he gets some bricks he gets a window and gets stuff, a window he? But, he, but he gets like these more than that he gets like these giant stone arches and has them brought back i love them um and put in a light well and that's like where his dog is buried with a little a little gravestone that says, Alas, poor Fanny. And then and then in the basement, in the basement he's got what's called the monk's parlor. And he used to talk about how this monk called Giovanni yeah. lives in the monk's parlor. Yeah. And 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 that's where he kept all of his gothic stuff yeah. because you wouldn't want that in the rest of the house, which is unsullied by the gothic. The stuff. gothic the, the gothic section. And it's just yeah. And he's just so obscenely clever with light and space, and he doesn't throw anything away. So you look up and you're like, "What is that little little domey skylighty thing?" And it turns out that it's the model that he'd made of a building that never got built. But he's like, "Stick it in a skylight." Who wouldn't? But that's the point, isn't it? He 
obs- and I'm going to say obsessively, and I'm going to say that with a qualified... Mm. I mean, I can't profess to have the love of Sir John Stone that you do. And I found him in a very different way, which I'll tell you in a second. But I did, to be fair, I thought, my God, I'm having a conversation with Rachel about Sir John Stone. I better at least I do a bit of reading. <laughs> and one of the things I read, and this is a little bit of pop psychology, mm. on, when he was on the Grand Tour, um, where he made such wonderful connections. Amazing connections. Uh, which lasted the rest of his life. You really, Make you know, good friends. Yeah, testament to the good... Turner. Sir, sir and lord and, you know, friends. If you want to be an architect, get commissions. Yeah, exactly so. Um, he, at one point, and I'm going to say it's through Switzerland, I might have got that wrong, we're on his way back, he had a trunk with huge, huge collections of his drawings, his sketches, yeah. and um, it broke open, and he lost a load of stuff. Oh my gosh. And I can't help but think that that guy, who, who the grand tour, I mean, that was his first exposure, wasn't it? Yeah. All of this. And to have the money, because the RA yeah. funded him, and as I, as I understand, he came back actually in quite a lot of debt. Yeah. Because he just kept extending it. Um, that... Because he lost that stuff. I wonder if he was always... Well, I'll, I'll just have that. I mean, his collection... Oh, he's got something yeah. like 66,000 architectural drawings. Oh, my gosh. Including from Sir Christopher Wren. Yeah. He bought an entire collection from his contemporaries. But he George was... George the Younger and the Elder. Elder. But he was such a buyer of things. Yes. I mean, like, he has a sarcophagus. And that is how I found out about him. So my <laughs> interest in uh, Egyptology... Um, predates me swanning around London pretending that I know anything about design. <laughs> um, I was actually really relatively young when I, I got into that subject. And I found out, I don't even remember how, that there was a private residence with a sarcophagus in the basement. <laughs> and I was like, well, get me there. So, and had no idea, absolutely no idea. I just pitched up going, yeah, yeah, so, so it's, Link, yeah, so it's Lincoln Infield. It's some house. And so came in, expecting it literally to be a Regency house with yeah. a, a sarcophagus in it. And was met by this... Onslaught. <laughs> I mean, to say, how can you describe how your senses are, are overwhelmed by the playing of light and dark? The, the colours. Um, and it's, I mean, part of the recent refurb has been to bring back those recent yeah. colours. And then, as you say, the stuff... I wish I was more articulate, but it's just just the stuff. stuff. But so I mean, and and so much stuff, and so much stuff, and Everywhere. so the sarcophagus. I think he had to have it craned in. Oh yes, and he had this three day party. And just what? and you just think, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you, mate? Like just you know, the British Museum didn't get it. I did. The British Museum barely existed. Yes. And that was the thing. So, so he was he was getting all of this stuff in, and then I think probably the British Museum would have had it, but I don't know that you could get it out. I think now it's in there. It's in because it's he in. was constantly modifying those buildings, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was constantly playing with that building. It was he was it was you know it was like a, a workshop and a, a, an experimental kind of mm. playground. And the thing that really really made me think about it recently was when I went to Chicago and I went to Frank Lloyd Wright's um, house and studio in Oak Park. Um, and so Frank Lloyd Wright is born in 1867, mm. so 30 years yes. after Soane dies. He dies in 1959. So completely mm. different, you know, an, an amazing sort of 70-year career mm. for Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, and yet, <laughs> this very 19th century, like, it was, um, kind of Edwardian, 19th, Victorian Edwardian house, his house and studio in Oak Park, 
there are so many elements that are so like the house at Lincoln's and Fields. I was absolutely, I was walking around with my husband and I just kept going, ah, sewn. <laughs> sewn. And the thing is that in, in America, I cannot express the revered tones in which Wright is referred to. It's as if he's, he's properly the myth of the American self-made man. He's the American self-made architect. He has no need of your fancy pants schools. Yes. He has no need of your he was gifted. He book had learning. He had some Lego bricks. And that was it. And gumption and the ability to do it. And a willingness to draw. Yes. It's just for God's sake. So he was actually also apprenticed to a very good architect in Chicago, home of architecture, but leaving that to one side. So I'm going through this house. And by the time we get to, (laughs) by the time we get to his studio, which is um, nearly octagonal and completely skylit in the way that Sonas did at the Dulwich Picture Gallery. I'm just like, for the love of Pete. Could you even pretend? And then we go into the picture room. Yes. The picture room at the Frank Lloyd Wright house has, hmm, it has these panels that are double hung. So you can hang a picture on the outside, then you open them up and you can hang a picture on the inside mm-hmm. and another picture on the inside. I, I just feel like I've seen that somewhere before. Where have I oh, seen wait. that before? A hundred years earlier. Is there any evidence? That so I have Googled my fingers to the bone. And I cannot find any evidence that Frank Lloyd Wright went to the Sir John Stone Museum in the period in which he was designing that, that or project. indeed ever. There's a, been, there were a couple of articles, which I can link to, but there were a couple of articles about um, legacy. Like, it was just... No. Because even while... I mean, I wonder if... I wonder if stuff wasn't written about it that got into the international press. Because even while Sir John was living, he was inviting people, guests, into the house. Constantly. Part of the refurb is his bedroom and his bathroom. Yeah. Which, he used to the invite private. guests yeah, 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 yeah. to come and, see, come and see my bathroom. Well, I mean, to be fair, like that is the typical English person's response to, I've just done a refurb, do you want to come on the tour of my house? Okay, I take it, but I, surely your bathroom is the line. I, as somebody who's just redone my bathroom, I will have you know, everybody. Okay. No, you can use the downstairs loo, or you would you like to use bathroom. the upstairs? Okay, I, I have nothing to say. You've got, no, you got nothing on that because I, I, this is a your flawless argument based on... I, I would like to think, given that uh, Sir John Stone, given that an act of parliament was made yep. to allow it to become... Um, uh, uh, in perpetuity. Did you know that the Sir John Stone Trust which basically was the money that he left mm. to the nation to look after the house and its contents. Yeah. That lasted from his death until after World War II. And the only reason it was no longer sufficient to fully support the, the house yes. is because of the bomb damage. Oh my God, no, really? And the bomb damage caused so much damage, particularly to like the windows and stuff, um, and some structural damage in terms of shifting, yeah. that, 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 that the... That that basically drained the coffers, and so it's still. I mean, so it's still a museum that's free to enter, um, as all national museums are. But but it's just really interesting, isn't it? That like, such was the legacy of this man, and he was a spender. Oh, he was all the stuff not, in his house. And we he, should. Oh, sorry. Well, we should talk about Pitzhanger. Uh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> he did. He did buy, knock down, and then build another house in Ealing. In Ealing, which was. The countryside. You can't, which you can't imagine now. No, no, you're you're in the middle of built up Ealing. Although I have to say, I have to say, Walpole Park, that in which this uh, is situated, is just one of the 
best parks in London and we are so lucky to live in a city that has such amazing parks I just anyway testament to the people of Ealing though as well I think because part yeah. of the reason we love that park is because it's people actually like smile at you as you walk past and people and it was properly it was so we were there on a Sunday with my two charming children they were actually being very charming <laughs> and my mother and, and my mother-in-law who was keeping a very good <laughs> she was being charming too she was also being charming too um, but the, but it but it was just an ama- like it was an amazing, it was an amazing like it was a really nice day out. So Pitt's Hanger Manor, which w- this was actually my this was my second visit. You saw it before it's been refurbished. I saw it before the refurbishment. Which I and, haven't. And it was a bit hadn't hadn't. It was a bit oh yeah. So tell me. Well, first of all, it's worth saying that with Pitt's Hanger, the architecture and interior features architectural interior features so wall panelling wallpaper yep. is there but there's no furniture almost no furniture almost no the furniture. dining room has a so almost table. no furniture and also um a lot of the wall a, a lot of the wall coverings and a lot of yeah, that stuff is 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 replay is 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 reproduction and do you think that when he was living there and he uh, he only lived there actually a relatively short time yeah. do you think it had the feel of his london home do you think he had his collections there do you know i think no None of the pictures show it, and they're so all. So I think. So I think. I think he kept this as his free, his his clear headed, entertaining mm-hmm. space. So I was reading an article during my ex- obsessive googling about the Frank Lloyd Wright connection, and several people have posited that he might have suffered from manic depression. Um, yes. And that one of the things that he was doing with Pitts Hanger was actually going like properly getting away from. Yes. And so the mania of the collecting and the obsessive completism of the mm. collecting. And then needing to just be clear of it. Or, I, I actually do, I do agree with you. His, his obsessive level for collecting certainly lends itself to that. I wonder he might have had future plans for that house. Oh, I, I'm he, sure he, he built did. the library and he, you know, he no, figured I'm it out. Sure, and I'm sure he didn't. And, and life circumstances really conspired against him with Pitzhanger, I think. Yes. And it was just tragic. It's um, worth talking about that a little bit to, so, to understand the man a bit more. Yeah, so... so Soane was married to Eliza, who was a very wealthy woman, which is an excellent thing to marry <laughs> if you are the son of a bricklayer, yep. but latent architectural yep. genius. Yep. But he absolutely adored her. He absolutely adored her. Um, everything I've read about their relationship is deeply moving. Um, and they had two sons, John and George. John, the elder son, was always a little bit sickly he mm. never quite just he died and he did and he did die quite quite young mm. george the younger son was a rake and a cad and a bounder and a scoundrel and and all manner of terrible and things was, and kept winding so he was a gambler he kept winding up in debtor's prison mm-hmm. um eventually after he gets he's he ends up in some sort of weird menage a trois with his wife and her sister and they've got kids and, and john doesn't like just, the and wife john at doesn't, all and he only really married her perhaps to piss, piss off him his off dad. And, yeah. yeah so it's just it's all complicated anyway so george winds up in debtor's prison for like the whatever time and john says you know what forget it we're done yeah and anybody who's ever had an addict in the family understands that there's a point at which you say i love you and I cannot save you. Yes, I can't help you. And so George eventually gets bailed out, I think, by his mum, and writes a scathing but anonymous article about how horrible contemporary architecture is, singling out Soane with just 
complete vitriol, right? And then it becomes known that this was that George had written this. I mean, and this would have been the gossip of society. Completely. You know, from the palace down, people have been talking I mean, about this. Yeah, you know, Sir John Stone, you know, one of his best friends is Turner. Like this is this is a man that, that moves in the in the highest circles. And and his wife, and so Eliza, the mother of George, says, This has destroyed me. You know, this this is yes. this is my death blow, and she dies. And she basically dies, as apparently you can do in the 19th century, of a broken heart. Well, I imagine her health deteriorated and she, her, fight, her fighting spirit was gone. Mm. But do you think John effectively blames George for this? Oh, completely blames George for this. So it is because of this that John leaves his house and its entire contents to the nation. Because he'll be damned if George... So his other son is dead by now. Um, he leaves a trust for George's children... Mm. Um, which is I'm sure totally was very fair. generous. Yes, which which, which was very yes. generous. Leaves a very generous trust for George's children, nothing to George, and the entire rest of his estate to the nation. And it took he had to lobby for years. Yeah, because that was the it was a fundamental change for inheritance. It yeah. had never been done before. And 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 again, that that's where you come back to having to you know a it's good to have friends in high places, but having to have an act of parliament to basically protect his property in perpetuity. And Absolutely thank, fascinating. And thank God, because how easy would have been for those properties to be well, sold. And un- to be really clear, so much of what Soane created has been destroyed subsequently. So much. And his, so his life's work was the Bank of England. That was the thing oh. that really paid the bills. Now this, this is the travesty. So this, this is described by um, renowned architectural critic, Pevsner, uh, as being the greatest crime of the 20th century. And basically what happens in the 1920s is they gut the entire Bank of England. And it's so luckily it was the 1920s and it was the age of photo- photography. And so they were able to preserve images mm. of what we've lost. But you just think, what that? Like the wanton destruction. But for listeners, if you've probably seen photographs of the facade of the Bank of England. You will definitely. So. But it's in Mary Poppins. But to get an idea of the scale of this building, it's a it's a city block. Yeah, it was, it's a large city block. He worked on that building for over thirty years. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, and and the thing the thing about Sone is it's the intricate kind of interrelationships between his interior spaces and how one space leads to another. And so, in the bank, it's 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 a solid city block of one building and so the ability to puncture that building and to create light-filled spaces and to make it feel open when you're inside a fortress Mm. i mean that is genius a series of fortresses because actually there were different trading floors and i I can't it's as you say that's why it's a travesty and it's yeah because we'll never see that again pit hanger you feel it when you go from the stairwell Oh, the stairwell was amazing. Into that um, kind of yellow lit stairwell. God, absolutely. And it's just, and he's just taking you from light into dark yellow kind of, and then, but I, but I, what I really loved was the gallery space. Which is. So it's an entire wall of glass. And in that period, so unbelievably expensive. The engineering even to put the structure behind it. And it was heated. It had heating and ventilation. Oh my gosh! Integrated Completely into it. ridiculous. You, but what you can imagine, 
Now it's as I said, a pit's hangar is empty. There's, there's yeah. uh, with the exception of the dining room, very little furniture. And this space is beautifully. They've they've had to redo the flooring of it because that was uh, over time. Sadly, that had gone. But you could imagine at the height of it, there would have been huge plants, huge oh, tropical plants because yeah. of the heating. A proper sunroom, an art room. Yeah. A space to entertain. And and that's what it was for. It was for the parties that you mm. want to throw. It was the country pad. The lifestyle. And it just, it it was, it is, it is a very, very beautiful space. And I think they've done an incredible job refurbishing it. And I think we have to talk about my favourite thing, which has nothing to do with sound. No, but but our there is a direct line of communication because I often will say to Rachel because she's such a phenomenal source of names and stories and history in the way that even after I read in a Wikipedia article I still, I still have lost all of it <laughs> you know what is your who's your who's your dinner party who's your you know famous my dream dinner party exactly dead or alive doesn't matter <sighs> and what there was and I don't what do you, do you know what kind of funny, I just, I'm not even convinced I would put stone at my dinner party Oh, oh no, no! I don't know how much to. fun you. I don't know how much fun he would be. I think for the anecdotes alone, get him in the right mood, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so don't mention, don't mention George. Don't mention George. Clearly, maybe so, maybe young Sone. Mm, a young Sone. Yeah, still all excited about neoclassical design and just got back tour. from the grand tour. Yeah. it's been amazing. Exactly. Spent a week in Sicily. Exactly. Still making an effort with people. Sorry, are you a current prime minister or future prime minister? Because. Um, <laughs> I'm welcome for you to be my mate either way. Right, young Sam. All right. <laughs> we have to be specific. And actually, I don't know who created this. Oh, I love it. Dining room table was dressed with a tablecloth and on it, we shall post some photos, was place settings with little narrative and story about the people who used to go and dine at Pitsanger Manor. So you've got a couple of opera singers, you've got Turner, you've dance. got... Dance. Dance, you did one of the wings. I think you've got... Um, Turner, uh, we said Turner. Turner, yes. Um, and 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 it was just you know, and Eliza's best friend. <gasps> yeah, exactly. And it was just so lovely. And I kept thinking, I love the idea of these people sitting in this dining room, having um, supper in the middle of nowhere in Ealing. Where the hell is that? Central <laughs> Line doesn't even exist. You know, like it's just, exist. it's just amazing to, and it made you feel made me feel closer to this whole shebang. I agree with you completely. For me, I, I know it was completely um, orchestrated and it was someone's idea that played out very well, but it's a bit like going into someone's house when they're not there and looking yes. at their bookcase. Oh, and, being like, and the oh, family photos. You now. Yes, and the fa- that's how it felt. Which, if we're honest, that's why we all do Airbnb, right? Yeah, right. That's why I do Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think to sum up, Good. Kind of like him. He's alright. He's you know there there are other architects. Um, I do want to mention though mm. that there is a, an absolutely fantastic exhibition coming up, which I'm yeah. going to post about on Instagram and on Twitter at the uh, Sony Museum Lincoln's Inn. Oh, and it is to do with light and how he played with light. Oh, so I'll post about that. It, the information is on their website, but I'll follow it up. Um. And I really encourage any of you who are interested... You do not have to be an architect no, or a designer. I am not an architect. I'm not an architect. You are a designer. Yeah, okay. Um, but if you, if you thought... Yeah, actually, I know some of the places that you've mentioned in this. Yeah. Or that chap sounds interesting. Sarcophagus, you say. 
I would seriously have a look at going along to that. It is amazing. Oh, and some nights in the month they do a candlelight tour, which oh. I can really highly recommend. Even if you've been there, say, 50 times, you will still experience it differently. You will see something new every time. Absolutely. So, Abby, what are we going to do next month? How about we talk about water? Water. Water. Yeah, H2O. Water. Yeah, exactly. In its many myriad of forms that we see in a city. Or indeed a house. Yes. <gasps> we can have a conversation about my pond and what to do with it. Big fan of the pond. Um, as someone who's installed quite a lot of water features into public spaces, I'd quite like to talk about that as well. Excellent. If they're successful. Right. Water it is. Water it is. It's a good one for the summer. Well, fantastic. Until... Until then... Do visit our website, www.eddpodcast.com. Visit us on Twitter at eddpodcast, also on Instagram. And if you like us, please leave us a preferably favorable review uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And until then, everyday design. Everyday design. Everyday design.